Welcome to a special internet-exclusive, internet-only Advent edition of Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and for the next hour or so, we're going to talk about the foundations of our faith. We're going to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives to help us better live outside our walls, outside the walls, uh, and to, to impact our culture in a positive way. Uh, this is an internet-only show today, but we do have a weekly radio show that airs across the United States, heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Uh, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. You've picked a doozy, uh, but the good news is you can catch up on everything you've missed in the show. We've got all our archives up at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can also find out more about the show and airtimes where you might be able to find it locally and hear it live. So here we are, we're, we're on this special Advent edition, and there was a topic that has been uh, blowing up my social media, uh, and I, I, pun really not intended, you'll understand in a second, and I, I wanted to address it, but you know, here we are at the end of Advent, and I didn't want to have this be the last episode before Christmas, it didn't seem appropriate uh, for whatever reason, but we're in this Advent season, we're talking about what Advent is. We are, as Christians, looking forward to Christmas, but it's not a mere remembrance of the Incarnation. It's not a mere remembrance of when Jesus was born. We are identifying with those people who lived before Christ was born, who longed for and awaited the coming of the Messiah, right? But we are also participating in that longing and awaiting for the Messiah. So the the theological principle is the already and the not yet. And so we have already experienced the incarnation of Christ. We've already experienced our redemption and salvation. And yet, and yet, we still await his coming where he redeems the whole world, where he comes not as an infant, but he comes as Messiah. He comes as uh, the ruling and reigning king uh, coming in all his glory. And so we're participating in this waiting for redemption. So we've looked at a, lot, a number of things here in this Advent season. Uh, we looked, uh, talked with Megan Weber of uh, abortionworker.com and talked about desiring an end uh, to that violence. Uh, we talked with, uh, with Dale Alquist, uh, president of the Chesterton Society, and we talked about desiring for creation to be redeemed and our job in stewarding creation. And today I want to talk about uh, the question of violence, and specifically uh, it, as it relates to uh, weaponry, as it relates to guns. We're going to talk about the space in between the debate, right? The debate is on one side, you have those who are clamoring for uh, gun control, right? We need to uh, confiscate all guns, we need, to, we need to, whatever the case may be. And then on the other side, you have people who are uh, on the, the edge of gun rights, and resisting anything that would impede uh, full and unregulated rights of, of guns. And I think that there's some space in between that that generally the argument doesn't allow. And so we're going to explore that a little bit today with a friend of mine. His name's John Wilkes. He is a professor. Uh, he's a, a, well, I'll call him professor. Uh, he teaches in the, the public schools. He teaches uh, American history. And so we're going to look at the Constitution, right? 
He also was a pastor. He was a pastor for a number of years in the Methodist Church. He and I went to seminary together. Uh, he has since left the Methodist Church and is attending an Anglican church. So this is one of the few times that we've had a non-Catholic guest on here, but I think he's got a very good perspective. Uh, and so uh, we're going to have that conversation later in the show. Uh, we're going to start off here, as always, with prayer, with Scripture, and with a reading from church history. Uh, because this is the foundations of our faith, right? We, we can't explore the implications of faith until we have a really good handle on what faith is. And so we're going to do things a little different today. We are going to do our readings, but we're not going to do the readings from uh, today, nor are we going to do the readings from this week. In fact, we're going to go all the way back to the first week of Advent. But not only are we going back to the first week of Advent, we're going back to the first week of Advent in year A, right? In the lectionary, there's a three-year cycle. We are in year C currently, and so we're actually going to go back two years or forward a year, as depending on how you want to view it. And we're going to do those readings from, uh, from the first Sunday of Advent, year A. So let's go ahead and start with our prayer, and then we'll get to everything else. It's going to be a great show. Thanks for being here today. To God our Father, who has given us the grace to wait in joyful hope for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, let us make our prayer. Show us your mercy, Lord. Sanctify us in mind and body. Keep us without sin until the coming of your Son. Make us walk in this day in holiness and live upright and devout lives in this world. May we be clothed in our Lord Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to stand watchful and ready until your Son is revealed in all his glory. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Grant your faithful, we pray, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds at his coming, so that gathered at his right hand, they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading today is again from the first Sunday of Advent, year A. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days to come. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest mountain and raised above the hills. All nations shall stream toward it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways, and we may walk in his paths. For from Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and impose terms on many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. One nation shall not raise the sword against another, nor shall they train for war again. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2. Today's responsorial psalm we pull from Psalm 122. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. I rejoiced because they said to me, 
we will go up to the house of the Lord. And now we have set foot within your gates, O Jerusalem. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Jerusalem built as a city with compact unity. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. According to the decree of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, in it are set up judgment seats, seats for the house of David. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you prosper. May peace be within your walls, prosperity in your buildings. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Because of my brothers and friends, I will say, Peace be with you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will pray for your good. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. The second reading today, because we're reading from a Sunday, comes from the book of Romans, chapter 13. Brothers and sisters, you know the time. It is the hour now for you to awake from sleep. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is advanced, the day is at hand. Let us then throw off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves properly, as in the day, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in promiscuity and lust, not in rivalry or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. That reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 13. Today's gospel comes from Matthew 24. Jesus said to his disciples, As it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up till the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them all away so it will be also at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be out in a field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on which day the Lord will come. Be sure of this, if the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into so too you also must be prepared. For at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. Today's reading from church history comes from St. Leo the Great in a treatise on the Beatitudes. Today's as blessed are the peacemakers. The blessedness of seeing God is justly promised to the pure of heart. For the eye that is unclean would not be able to see the brightness of true light. And what would be happiness to clear minds would be a torment to those that are defiled. Therefore, let the mists of worldly vanities be dispelled, and the inner eye be cleansed of all the filth of wickedness, so that the soul's gaze may feast serenely upon the great vision of God. It is to the attainment of this goal that the next words refer. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This blessedness, dearly beloved, does not derive from any casual agreement or from any and every kind of harmony, but it pertains to what the Apostle says, Be at peace before the Lord. And to the words of the prophet, 
those who love your law shall enjoy abundant peace. For them, it is no stumbling block. Even the most intimate bonds of friendship and the closest affinity of minds cannot truly lay claim to this peace if they are not in agreement with the will of God. Alliances based on evil desires, covenants of crime and packs of vice all lie outside the scope of this peace. Love of the world cannot be reconciled with love of God. And the man who does not separate himself from the children of this generation cannot join in the company of the sons of God. But those who keep God ever in their hearts and are anxious to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace never dissent from the eternal law as they speak the prayer of faith. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These then are the peacemakers. They are bound together in holy harmony and are rightly given the heavenly title of sons of God, co-heirs with Christ. And this is the reward they will receive for their love of God and neighbor. When their struggle with all temptation is finally over, there will be no further adversities to suffer or scandal to fear, but they will rest in the peace of God undisturbed through our Lord who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. Something that is very interesting to me and that, that's very rarely mentioned in this question, this debate uh, about gun control or gun rights, is the inner disposition of the heart. You know, what's most important of everything is because weapons specifically are not an intrinsic evil, but that doesn't mean that they cannot be evil. We get so caught up on whether something is intrinsically evil, evil in and of itself, uh, that we forget that even things that are not intrinsically evil can be evil given the intent. If my intent is to harm someone, even if it's to harm them in self-defense with unjustified force, even then, the intent makes the difference. So let us, this Advent season, seek to be peacemakers in the depths of our heart. We'll be right back with more. Rest beside the weary road and hear the angels You're listening to a special internet-only edition of Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Got a great episode for you today here in Advent. Rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. That, that really is the whole of our task this Advent as we are caught between the already receiving the promise of Christ, Christ incarnate, God becoming man, uh, and yet we are still awaiting the redemption of the whole cosmos, of the whole world, uh, and those final days when Christ comes back as king, not as babe, when he comes back to rule and reign uh, for the end of time. His kingdom will have no end. Today, I have a friend of mine here on the show. Uh, John Wilkes was a United Methodist pastor for a number of years. Uh, he and I attended uh, Asbury Theological Seminary together, and uh, both of us have found our ways in different directions. Of course, I have come into the Catholic Church 
and John is currently attending an Anglican church out in the panhandle of Texas. Well, actually, you're, you're not really in the panhandle at all. You're out in West Texas, right? Yeah, uh, Permian Basin, just uh, slightly south of the Panhandle. All right, just slightly south of the Panhandle, in the middle of nowhere, which is what most of Texas is. Uh, I say that with all affection because it's my home. (laughs) John, thanks for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, Timothy. So... We, we, have, uh, we have our own share of, of disagreements, but we also have our own share of, uh, of great agreements. And I think whatever we do, whether it's disagree or agree, we do with full gusto and uh, lots of heart. So, Absolutely. So today, I brought you on the show today because of a post you made, oh, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, regarding guns, which is everyone's favorite topic. And so... Um, if you, if you, you know, I do it because no one comments on Facebook. So I figure if I get the really interesting conversations going on, then all people are going to flood my Facebook. Uh, maybe not the right way to go about it, but if you want to join this conversation, which I'm sure you do, uh, you can get into that conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Or if you're more of a Twitter person, like short bursts of great energy, 140 characters, you can do that over at at Outside the Walls is our handle on Twitter. So we're talking about guns today, and this is kind of out of the ordinary for me because I generally like to talk about uh, matters that have a, a, a definite position in the Catholic Church. That's something that is an, an intrinsic uh, position. It's either intrinsically evil and we want to avoid it, or it's a, a virtue that we most definitely want to pursue. And the question of how we handle guns is one that there's plenty of room for. Uh, it's not something that the church has a definitive stance on on the actual weapon itself. But the church does have a very clear stance on the use of weapons. And I, just to start off the show, we'll, we'll get more into the conversation here in a moment, but just to start off the show, I want to talk about uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church This is paragraph 2263. It's the section on legitimate defense, and the Catechism has this to tell us. The legitimate defense of persons and societies is not an exception to the prohibition against the murder of the innocent that constitutes intentional killing. Quote, the act of self-defense can have a double effect, the preservation of one's own life and the killing of the aggressor. The one is intended, the other is not. Paragraph 2264, love towards oneself remains a fundamental principle of morality. Therefore, it is legitimate to insist on respect for one's own right to life. Someone who defends his life is not guilty of murder, even if he is forced to deal his aggressor a lethal blow. If a man in self-defense uses more than necessary violence, it will be unlawful. Whereas if he repels force with moderation, his defense will be lawful. Nor is it necessary for a salvation that the man omit an act of moderate self-defense to avoid killing the other man, since one is bound to take more care of one's own life than another's. And so I think that this is something that is often missed in our questions uh, and conversations about uh, weaponry, about uh, home defense, guns, whatever else you want to include in that, is that it can't, it can't be a disproportionate use of force when dealing with an aggressor. If you are able to get yourself out of danger with less than lethal force, then, according to the church, you're obliged to do so. 
Now, if it requires lethal force to put yourself into safety, then the church accepts that and allows that. Uh, But we have to remember, and this is something that John and I talked about just before we came on the air, uh, that here we are in the season of Advent. We're waiting for the full promise of Christ, right? And in that, uh, our first reading in years A and year B in the lectionary, the first reading of Advent talks about uh, we are going to beat our swords into plowshares. Of course, we read that in the first segment today, but to the goal, the whole redemption of the world includes the destruction of all weapons, right? There will be no more war. There will be no more need to defend oneself. And of course, we're not there yet, but something in us needs to prepare our hearts for uh, for that coming, to, to get ready for the fact that, you know, Christ is coming as king, and this is part of his kingdom, is a kingdom of peace. So, John, we started talking about this because you have some, uh, some experience with this. First of all, you live in West Texas. Uh, everyone oh, has yeah. a gun, uh, or five, or, you know, a uh, stockpile. <laughs> and, and most of those are used for for hunting for uh you know there's not a whole lot of uh need for protection out in west texas because you can see them coming for about a uh you know a day day away uh but absolutely but there is a culture uh of guns out in west texas that's a little bit different than you would experience maybe in an urban area and of course you've lived both in urban and rural so talk to us a little bit about uh, your perspective on this whole question of of weaponry well, you know, it's kind of strange growing up out here. Uh, we are as red as the red state gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and guns are, for a lot of people, an extension of their own personality. Uh, if you walk into a local cafe and just sit and listen, it would be re- very rare not to hear at least one table discuss firearms at some point it's deeply ingrained in who we are. And, and that goes back to uh, the frontier. Uh, you know, this mm-hmm. the town I live in is a hundred and maybe 160, 170 years old, uh, founded as a railroad town and a crossing place for cattle herds. So uh, in a way that that old West mindset is here and there's a lot of sports shooters and gun ranges Um but it's also a deeply religious area. Uh, church participation is, is higher than the national average here. We have a number of congregations, uh, large Catholic parishes, uh, and every flavor of Protestantism you, you could imagine. I happen to be Anglican uh, myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's really kind of interesting that most Christians are avid gun owners here, and, mm-hmm. and that seems to just it raises some interesting questions. Yeah. And you know, I, and by the way, I happen to be a gun owner myself. Right. So right. Disclosure. You know, I, I find it very interesting because there, there is, I'm less concerned about people who are owning guns and, and the, uh, the ownership of however many weapons a person wants. Uh, what, what's interesting to me is the way that we talk about guns, right? It comes back yeah. to this. There's only a right and a wrong answer. And you're either on my side or you're not on my side. And we've become so ingrained in the appropriate place 
the appropriate position to take on a weapon that we no longer have any substantive conversations uh, about uh, about proper use of them, right? Because as soon as you say anything, oh, well, you must be a liberal or, oh, you must be a conservative, and we no longer have the discussion. Exactly. And, and you know, the, the blog post that, uh, or the Facebook post that set all this up, uh, I happen to teach uh, junior high school. I teach American history. And this is partially born out of conversations with my students about the intent of the Second Amendment. And I think the tug of war in American politics is that uh, those who want to completely ban all weapons uh, seem to read the first part of the Second Amendment, that guns, uh, that, uh, guns are necessary for a well-regulated militia. We no longer depend on militias. We have standing uh, standing army, uh, actually four branches of the service now. Right. Uh, the founding fathers did not anticipate this. And from their perspective, national defense is solved, and we really don't need firearms anymore. Uh, but the flip side of that is reading what the anti-federalists had to say, the concern about the potential for a tyrannical government, and uh, that you couldn't necessarily de- depend on a national army because uh, the people might theoretically have to defend themselves from a government uh, that has become corrupt. Right. Uh, but a lot of these folks, they they see the necessity of, at least under American law, uh, for American citizens to be able to access firearms. But that, that whole first clause of the Second Amendment that, that talks about a well-regulated militia, uh, that takes a backseat. And any thought of uh, deeper background checks, licensing, registration, uh, submitting to psychological evaluations, uh, proving that you can fire the weapon competently being required to own a, a gun safe, secure the weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of these suggestions, and you are immediately branded as a left winger, even if you happen to be a shooter and a, and a, and a gun owner yourself. Right. Uh, and that's just looking at the knee-jerk reaction within the American dialogue, let right. alone the dialogue you get into when you try to draw a theological reflection. How do we as Christians uh, look at the Second Amendment on top of that? Well, and, you know, how do we look at our citizenship? That's a, that's a question that I think is important for us as uh, as Christians to adhere to. You know, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and yet we have this dual citizenship. But which one are we going to allow to take precedence? Uh, that's a question I think that we don't ask ourselves often enough. And it's a question, yeah. question that we see throughout history that uh, in times of war, people have had to struggle with. You have... Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who that that theologian, uh, German theologian, who uh, had to question uh, his own government, right? Which citizenship was he going to put first? And for him, he chose to put his Christian citizenship first, and it cost him his life. Uh, and are we yeah. prepared to make that same kind of decision? Well, this is a conversation definitely rankles a lot of feathers. Uh, we're going to come back to this right after this break. Join the conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls and on Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. beside the weary road and hear the angels We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
We're tackling a difficult topic today, one that I'm sure you have an opinion on. Why don't you share that opinion over on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Uh, I want to know what you think. I know you're thinking something. We're talking about guns uh, in our American culture and citizenship in heaven and citizenship on earth and how those two balance out. My guest today is a friend of mine, a seminary compatriot, uh, John Wilkes, who's currently an American history teacher out in West Texas. Previously, he served in a uh, Protestant church for a number of years as pastor. So he's got a, a very nice uh, nice mix of uh, mindsets, right? He's still very much in, entrenched in that theological education and the desire to, uh, to proclaim it, uh, but also has this American history perspective that I, I found really interesting. So just before the break, John, you were talking about this Facebook post about people, uh, the, the, the dichotomy of uh, the discussion, right? Some people want to look at the first half of the Second Amendment, and some people only want to look at the second half. And I recall probably late high school having this thought that the whole gun control question was really an obfuscation, right? Because as long as they, as long as we are arguing about uh, whether or not I can personally own a handgun, then we're not really talking about the broader question of what was meant by bearing arms, right? If it really was a sense of being able to repel a tyrannical government, uh, a handgun isn't going to do that. Not when we have the size military that we have in this day and age, right? Correct. So, you know, you're talking about talking about a well-regulated militia, and I see most people who have their guns. You talked about some the people out in your area of West Texas who very much see it as a part of their identity, and and I would venture to guess that it's a very individualistic kind of expression of their identity. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely, uh, and in some cases, an almost uh, paranoid sense of individualism, a, a real fear of any level of government, including the county sheriff, uh, knowing that, you know, uh, a lot of people here complain about having to uh, apply new background checks to get a uh, class three weapon, a suppressed firearm or a fully automatic weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a deep, deep uh, resentment towards any layer of regulation. Well, and I'm just just playing out a scenario in my mind of the this case where we did have a uh, a tyrannical government, or or we were invaded and had something like what the French had to deal with with the French resistance. Uh, there, with the individualism that there is, there, there's no sense of being well regulated to be able to take on someone who would be, have tactical training. No, not at all. And I, I think when you go through and you read the debates around the framing of the Second Amendment between the, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, there was never an assumption of the sort of uh, 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 extreme individualism that mm-hmm. certainly marks uh, the culture in the American West. Uh, the, the assumption, even, even for the Anti-Federalists, who were very much for broad gun ownership rights, is that uh, people would live in a much tighter knit sense of community, that there would be a sense of responsibility for one another, and that of course you would be willing 
to to make known what you own, to train and shoot alongside other shooters for local officials, to be aware of who owns what, so that you could be called up in the event, uh, you know, uh, uh, of a true emergency where it was necessary for citizens to come to the defense of others. And, and you cannot do that in an atmosphere of secrecy. Right. So, uh, you know, this is such a frustrating discussion to me, not not ours, but the discussion around weapons in the United States, uh, because if you're on Facebook at all and you have friends on both sides of the debates, even if you just have friends on one side of the, of the debate, the the memes, the short little quips that people throw out there uh, are are so far flung. Um, so I see a lot of people who are worried about gun registration. They're worried about any kind of legislation, even the smallest amount of uh, psychological testing um, for fear that someone could redefine uh, what would make someone psychologically unfit for a gun and that it would be them, right? So they're so worried about that that they talk about, uh, you know, Hitler rounded up all the guns as well. And so as if there's no other successful... Uh, application of gun laws anywhere in the world uh, that that's different than our own. Uh, you know, I think of Australia, who has very strict gun laws. And yes, of course, there's going to be uh, other murders because people are people. And yet you have to yeah. look at per capita. You have to look at rates. You have to look at any number of other things other than, oh, well, people are still going to kill. Well, you, we can still do things that are rational, that are safe, that are uh, in keeping with our Christian tradition of being largely nonviolent. Yes. Uh, I think that's extremely critical. And I, I think we have, you know, I think the Second Amendment itself provides the tool for that, because when you look at it in the full language, and it's short and easy to read, uh, there's a sense that gun ownership is tied to this sense of mutual protection and community. Uh, but I also think that for Christian, uh, especially Christian gun owners, to bring us into dialogue, and this is one area where I think Catholics and Protestants ought to be ought to be able to agree pretty readily, is that uh, those of us who are disciples of Christ and who try to keep the teachings of Jesus, that that we would be willing to take risks for the sake of community and. and I, I can realize that gun registration might provide a degree of risk, but is it better for the greater good? Is, should we be willing um, to submit to common sense regulations, even though the potential for abuse is there because it's the right thing? Uh, and I think that Christian gun owners can lead the way in this. Uh, but what worries me sometimes, Timothy, to be honest, is even among Christian gun owners, and certainly in the broader gun culture, you do have people who almost who, who almost seem to want the day to come when they have to use their weapons. Yeah. Uh, in Texas, we have the castle doctrine, the idea that if somebody invades your personal property, you have the right to defend yourself, which... Uh, and, and I support the Castle Doctrine, but some people, when they talk about it or post about it online, there's, there's almost there's almost a sense of bloodlust mm -hmm. that they hope their home is invaded. There's a there's a a, a toxic uh, glee, I think, in some corners that uh, really 
really is antithetical. It's, it's completely opposed to the Christian idea of loving your neighbor and even loving your enemy. When do I get to shoot? When do I right. get to shoot you? You know, yeah. this is, this is something that the, from that passage of the catechism we read and something that's very troubling to me is that th- that's not allowed by the Catholic church. You're only allowed to use lethal force when lethal force is required to ensure your personal well-being, right? Right. Uh, if it's my property, even, you know, whatever it is, um, that's allowed. It's also not required. Many of the saints, many of the martyrs in history, uh, they laid down their life uh, for the sake of nonviolence, for the sake of making a, a profound statement about their trust in Christ uh, and their trust in, in Christ's grace for them in the afterlife. And, you know, it just, it's troubling to me to see that, oh, well, yeah, but what if they come into your house? Then you have to shoot them. I'm like, well, do you? Is there no, is it, is it necessary? Is there no other possible way other than, than to end the life of another? Uh, and, and to look at that in, in my state uh, and to realize that the law allows you to do that, but that doesn't, that doesn't by any means mean uh, require one to act that way. And, and, you know, you and I have definitely had our theological disagreements. There, there, there are things that, uh, that Roman Catholicism teaches that I'm, I'm not quite comfortable with, but this is an area where I think the, the, the Catholic church actually, uh, I will freely admit as a Protestant that the Catholic church does a much better job, uh, particularly in the last 150 years, particularly mm-hmm. with the latest catechism that does, does a, a, a superior job to the Protestant world of addressing this issue of when is the use of force justifiable. Uh, and I think it's a critically important conversation to have, uh, not only on the gun debate, but as we start talking about <clears throat> how should America respond to global terror and other issues, that to have a, a serious, mature, and intense conversation about justifiable use of force versus non-justifiable use of force. And really, uh, you know, we're dealing with something, and I talked about this uh, early on, we're dealing with something that people of goodwill are free to disagree about, and the, the topic of guns themselves, right? But the interior position of our hearts is not something that we're free to disagree about. We are supposed to be a people who pursue virtue. Now, how that's done and what that yeah. looks like, maybe we have some disagreements about the best way to do that, but virtue is first and foremost the thing that we're called uh, to pursue as Christians, as people who are seeking to live at peace. So you, you've got the two sides of this, and we'll talk about this just a little bit more uh, right after this break. Join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And talk to us about uh, what you think about this topic of uh, gun rights, gun control, or the space in between. Uh, talk about the catechism, talk about the just war theory, uh, but how does your faith inform your position on guns? Something I want to know. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Uh, We're talking today about guns, gun rights, gun control, and the space 
in between. This season of Advent leading us up to Christmas is calling us to an interior peace. Uh, that's something that uh, that really the whole of the New Testament is calling us towards. One of my favorite passages of Scripture comes from Colossians 3, and it says, Let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly, right? That's, that's the goal of the Christian life, to be a person of peace. Now, uh, we've said this earlier, we're going to say it again, that that guns intrinsically uh, are not opposed to being a person of peace, not intrinsically. But the question, and, and a lot of the ways that we talk about guns in our culture today, uh, even for people who are against gun rights, they're not exhibiting being a person of peace in their conversation. So we're talking about the middle way uh, in this conversation with a, a good friend of mine, John Wilkes, uh, he was a, a Protestant pastor for a number of years. We went to seminary together, and he is currently uh, teaching American history uh, out in West Texas. Uh, so, John, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, Timothy. So let's talk about Advent. Let's talk about this call uh, to being a people of peace. We've talked about the the political aspect of it. We've talked about maybe the American history aspect of it. Let's talk some about what does Christ require of us uh, internally as we seek to be a people of peace, as we seek to be a people who are dedicated uh, to bringing about his kingdom? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's talk just a little bit about this. You know, as we've been turning through this entire conversation, Timothy, I keep going back to the words of the Apostle Paul, where uh, he talks about serving as Christ ambassadors, as if uh, Christ... Uh, is making his appeal directly through the apostles. And that image of being an embassy, hmm. I think we all can recognize as, as we read through uh, read through the New Testament and think about, because uh, certainly Advent is not only a time to think about the coming of the Christ child, but to think about the return of Christ as uh, Savior, Judge, and, and King of the universe. Um, there's definitely a sense in which Christians recognize the 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 justice of God to pass judgment on the evils of the world, but the church is not the instrument necessarily of that worldly justice. We're we're an embassy. Ambassadors don't fight wars; they negotiate peace. Hmm. They plead the case of the one they represent. So we as Christians are to call out with the message that Christ offers, a message of mercy, a message of forgiveness, a, a message of reconciliation with God, and a message of hope. And we can't be agents of that hope if we're burning to punish our enemies, whether that's uh, uh, shooting dead the burglar in my home or, or praying to see the death of our enemies abroad, that this is flatly not a, a mindset or a heart set that somebody who takes the words of Jesus seriously can allow themselves to embrace. You know, just looking at, let's talk about Christ's words for a second regarding weaponry, because Jesus does talk about weaponry. He doesn't talk about guns. Obviously, yeah. they didn't have guns. But there's a couple of things that uh, that he said that I think are important for us to take a look at. The first one comes out of Luke 22, 
Uh, and we see Jesus said to his disciples, when I sent you out with no purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. He said to them, but now let him who has a purse take it and likewise a bag and let him who has no sword sell his mantle and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was reckoned with transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So he's not opposed necessarily to ownership of weapons. Uh, But then there's this other telling, telling story, and it comes out of Matthew, uh, Matthew 26. And Jesus said to Peter after he struck the high priest's servant, he said, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And so here we have this picture that Christ is not so much concerned about whether or not we own weapons, but he is concerned about how we use them, what our intent with them is. The person who lives by the sword, who takes up the sword, dies by the sword. And so we see this picture of Peter in this situation that doesn't require lethal force striking out. Of course, he's an awful shot. Uh, he's like a stormtrooper, right? Because he misses. He gets the year. I'd never thought about that passage that way, to be honest. Right. So, so you know, Peter was a stormtrooper. He missed. But we see this, this call that Christ has for us to pursue something different than the rest of society. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio. Heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. I'm going to leave you again with this song reminding us of our call. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy, in grateful chorus raise we let all. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.